Have you ever wondered what the world thinks about the foolish things that we do? I mean, why would we, you know, why would we give up hours and hours and hours of our uh, sleeping hours to be in worship and Bible study? The world thinks that's foolish. The world thinks that's ridiculous. Why would we give so much time to service projects uh, that we get nothing out of? Why would we become so involved uh, with, the, with the poor and the sick and the hurting? Why would, um, why would we, you know, just give so much of our time and energy for something that we don't benefit? Why would we, why would we deny ourselves of anything when life is so short? Why would we deny ourselves any, any kind of pleasure when life is so, so short? Why wouldn't we just do what we want? And why, oh, why, oh, why? Wouldn't we, tax-paying citizens, or why would we, tax-paying citizens, also give 10% or more of our income to the church? This is hard for people who don't know Jesus to understand. Why do we do it? We do it because we love him, okay? We love him because he first loved us. And he gave everything for us and so there's nothing that we wouldn't do for him. But our, our text shows how difficult it is for people to understand that. Why would you break such a precious bottle of perfume for Jesus? The, the people there thought this, this was a foolish waste. Okay, on the week that Jesus would be crucified, he stopped in Bethany. Bethany was the home of some good friends of his, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. He had just been there not long ago and raised Lazarus from the dead. All right, so he stops in Bethany one more time. This is the week of his crucifixion. And while he's there, he has dinner at the home of someone named Simon the leper. So we can assume this is someone that he healed from leprosy because otherwise you wouldn't be having dinner in a leper's home. Uh, lepers had to be, you know, removed from everybody. So someone who was a leper that Jesus had healed would be the natural assumption there. And we are told in the other gospels, um, three out of the four, well, all four gospels kind of have this account, especially three of the four really give us details on this account. And the other gospels tell us that, that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were also there at the meal. And of course, Martha was helping serve, you know, cooking dinner and so on and so forth. So maybe Mary, Martha, Lazarus were, were friends or even relatives of Simon the leper. All right. So while they're having this dinner, a woman, our text says, but Matthew tells us that it was Mary. This was Mary as in Mary and Martha. This was the Mary who sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was so busy in the kitchen. That Mary came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Now, nard was imported from a plant that grew near the foothills of the Himalayas in northern India. So you can probably imagine it wasn't cheap. In fact, that little pint jar of nard that Mary had was, was thought to be over, uh, worth over 300 denarii, which would have been over a year's wages for the average laborer. So we're talking about a at least a 20,000, uh, if not 30,000, maybe $40,000 bottle of perfume in our way of reckoning things. 
Um, it was a wonderfully fragrant perfume. And it would have been bottled in um, a glass-like translucent alabaster flask or vessel. And, it, and that bottle would have been sealed with no lid. So basically the way it usually had a long, narrow neck and the way you'd open it was breaking the neck. Kind of a one-time use sort of thing. Families would often save up for a while to buy an expensive flask of perfume like this to have on hand for the death or the funeral of a loved one. Was this the... Was this the perfume that was supposed to be used for Lazarus's funeral? I, I don't know. But either way, Mary brings it out. She brings out this $30,000, $40,000 bottle of perfume. She breaks it and she pours it over Jesus' head. She anoints his head um, and she pours the whole thing out. And the other Gospels tell us that she even poured some on his feet. And what do we hear? And they rebuked her harshly. Who did? Well, those present did. Matthew tells us that it was the disciples. The Gospel of John tells us that Judas was the one who spoke these words. He said, why was this perfume wasted? It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. They rebuked her harshly. Now the word, it's a very unique word there. Rebuke harshly. The word there is actually, it's a word that describes the snorting of horses. So she did this beautiful thing and they started snorting like horses because of it. Poor Mary. <laughs> I, right? I mean, she gets a rough time. I mean, some time ago, she gets a rough time from her sister in the kitchen because she just wants to sit and listen to the word of God, wants to listen to Jesus. Now she gets a rough time for trying to worship Jesus. She, she worships him and people snort like horses. What's she doing? Do we ever snort like horses? Do we ever snort like horses? Maybe, the, you know, the thing I thought, maybe, you know, when someone, when someone gets into the worship song and starts raising their hand and worship, and do, do, you know, do, you, do anyone think, well, why are they doing that? Why, why are they so into the worship song like that? Do we grumble a little bit, snort like horses? How about when someone gives maybe a very um, lavish or extravagant gift for worship and we think, well, that money could have been spent in another way. Man, you know, wh why are we spending that on this? We, we could have we filled the food pantry for that. Uh, with all that kind of money, think of, what we think of the help we could have given the homeless. Think, think of the help we could have given to people whose lives have been kind of ruined by disaster. Think of the evangelism work, the mission work we could have done. Think of how we could have built churches in remote villages. I mean, isn't there another way to honor Jesus that wouldn't have such a ridiculous price tag to it? Like the disciples, we often play it safe. Okay? Um, fine, honor Jesus, but we, we don't have to use the most expensive stuff in the world and not so much. Or, okay, let's do, let's do what God wants, but you know, let's do it in careful uh, ways and, and controlled ways. We like to be controlled and, and uh, reasonable, right? Frugal, careful, responsible, don't we? It, it doesn't seem smart to, to give all you have once and then have nothing left. It doesn't seem wise to just give everything today without any thought about tomorrow. 
And, and we want Jesus to be happy with us when we're being careful and responsible. But he rebukes us. In fact, in fact, every single time in the Bible that you have someone trying to play it safe, God rebukes them. I don't, I don't even have time to tell all the stories, so he, that'll be your homework for the week, but just I'll give you some names. Abraham, Moses, Gideon, David, Jonah, Elijah, the lukewarm church in Laodicea, right? And in a couple days, the disciples, they're going to play it safe again in the garden when they turn and run out of there. The disciples get rebuked. But Mary gets praised. Why? Because when you break a vessel, you have to give it all. Right? When you break a vessel, you have to give it all, holding nothing back. Out of her love for Jesus, Mary was holding nothing back. What she had, she gave. Why? Why did she do it? And that's really, I think, the big question that we need to have answered in this message. Why did she do it? Well, first of all, it was a giving act. It was a giving act. This was her way of giving to Jesus. The, the Bible is really a book on giving. It, it, the, the whole Bible is a book on giving. God gave us life. God gave us a world to live in. God gave us uh, the promise of redemption when we fell into sin. God gave us his son. God loved the world so that he gave. The whole Bible is a book of God giving. The Bible also tells the story of humankind giving back to God. Starting in the very beginning with Cain and Abel, what did they do? They brought some of the offerings from their, their crops or their flocks and gave it to God. Um, fast forward to the flood. You have Noah after the flood. He makes an altar and gives to God. Um, then when the law was given to the children of Israel, they, they, um, they gave tithes of everything, percentages of everything God had given them. And if you really add it all up, um, they were given like 15 to 30 percent of everything they had to God. So the Bible is, tells the story of how we give a percentage back to God of what he has given us. We give him our time. We give him our money. We give him our possessions. Mary gave what she had. She gave her precious perfume. Why? We don't have, I don't have a sentence from this text that says, well, she gave because, but it's obvious, isn't it? Why'd she do it? Because Jesus had given her brother back from the dead. Jesus had given her friend Simon back from leprosy. Jesus had given her the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so she was giving something back to him to try to show him how much she loved him. She wanted to give something to him to show how much she loved him. Finally, we give because Jesus gave. That's why we give. That's why Mary gave. That's why we give. Because, because of what Jesus gave. He gave to us first. He gave everything to us. 
And we have everything because of Jesus. He made us rich by becoming poor. That's why we give. Second thing about this is that it was an expensive act. Um, yeah, this one bottle of perfume was worth more than a year's salary. So to whatever the, av- I don't know what the average, you know, labor salary is or the average salary is today, but just putting that in our mind frame, I think we're talking, this was a 20 or 30 or $40,000 bottle of perfume. Now, uh, the Gospel of John tells us that Judas was upset because he was the keeper of the money. He was the treasurer. He's the one who kept the disciples probably very meager amounts of money that they had. And he used to help himself to some of that money from time to time. And so, yeah, of course he's upset. There could have been 30000 more dollars in, in, the, in the money bag that he could have helped himself. So he's upset for that. The disciples are upset because this, they feel, could have been sold and the money given to help the poor. And you know what? Yeah, it could have. Absolutely. And Jesus loved the poor and he cared about the poor too. And, and just, just think of, of how much that could have fed and helped the poor that kind of money but but i do you know i do i did kind of find it a little bit funny a little bit interesting that while the disciples are are, you know kind of saying well this could have been sold and give to the poor um i didn't hear any of them complaining about the lavish feast that simon was blessing them with finally yeah it was an expensive gift it cost But did Jesus' gift cost us any less? Sorry, did Jesus' gift cost him any less? It cost us nothing. So did Jesus' gift cost any less? His gift to you and me was expensive. It cost him his life. It cost him his everything. Third thing, it was a loving act. You see, love, love always seems wasteful to those who don't love. Judas saw this as a waste. Why? Because he didn't understand love. J- Judas, Judas tried putting a price tag on it, right? He's the one, who, well, this is worth 300. Judas tried putting a price tag on this. Judas couldn't understand the gift because he couldn't understand love. The difference between Judas and Mary was love. Mary took the most precious thing she possessed and she spent it all on Jesus. Genuine love always has an extravagance about it. It isn't concerned with um, how little it can get by with giving, right? Genuine love doesn't concern with that. Genuine love doesn't calculate the cost. Parents, you know what I'm talking about here, don't you? You you get this. You love your child, okay? I, I, I know no one will disagree with me. You love your child. So if there is anything they need, not anything they want, okay? If there's anything they need, anything at all, you will make any sacrifice necessary to make that happen you you don't sit there and calculate the cost okay um we need to stitch up your child or they're going to bleed out how much of the stitch is going to cost we don't do that do we we don't 
calculate the cost. Love doesn't calculate the cost. Love is not love if it tries to neatly calculate the cost. Love is not true love if it neatly calculates the cost. Did God calculate the cost in saving us? No. No cost was too high. He gave everything. The cost didn't make him stop. And that's what love is all about. Look at the love of God in what he did for us. And that love is why we give. That love is why we love back. That love is why we worship him the way that we do. Fourth thing is that it was a beautiful act. Um, and those are Jesus' words. Look at verses 6 to 8. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. and You can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. All right, so she is doing a beautiful thing. She's preparing me for my burial. Jesus gives us a little bit of a hint here of his departure. You'll always have the poor with you. You won't always have me. And he said, she did what she could. Literally, the words there are, what she had, she did. Okay, what she had, she did. And that is exactly what Jesus wants out of each and every one of us. Okay, the, all we can do, um, we, can, we can only do what we can do. We, we can do only uh, what we have by what God has given us. All right? We, we can only do what we can using the gifts that God has given us. So let's honor him. Let's thank him by doing what we can with what we have, with what he has given us. God doesn't, God doesn't compare you with others. He's not saying, well, you know, so-and-so gave more than you. What's wrong with you? God doesn't do that. God doesn't compare your $20 with someone else's $100 or your 10 with someone else's 1000 God doesn't do that. The only question is, the question is, have we done what we could with what we've been given? Have we done what we could with what God has given us? Mary gave what she had. People don't always understand um, couldn't you have saved some for later, Mary? We, we, don't, we don't always understand either because, um, you know, sometimes we're like, Lord, if I give all this, then how are we going to pay for all that, right? Sometimes we miss the simple truth of Christian giving, which is the more you give, the more God gives you back. Don't take it from me. Take it from him. Luke 6, verse 38 says, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You can't outgive God. Try it. All right? And don't, don't take this, don't go and take, well, if I, I give, you know, it would be like some kind of greedy investment, like I'm going to get rich because I give. That's not how it works. But God says, the more you give to me, the more I'll make sure you are taken care of. 
the more I will pour blessing out. You, I've never met anyone yet who, who has been able to outgive God. Uh, you've heard me say that plenty of times from up here. I, I've never met someone who, who gave too much and now they are in the poor house or now they're not being taken care of. You, you can't outgive God. Try it. Um, the story is told of a beggar in India who would sit by the road and beg for food. So on a daily basis, he would sit at the side of the road and, and he would hold out a cup and occasionally people would come by and put little, maybe a few grains of rice in his little cup and, and, and this is how he ate. This is how he fed himself. So one day he's begging by the side of the road and he sees a big procession coming down the road. Just obviously all kinds of people, a cloud of dust. There's a big procession coming down the road and he's thinking that's got to be the prince. Uh, this could be a good day for me, all right? And, and, and in fact, it was the prince, big procession coming down the road. And when he, when he got in front of where the beggar was, the prince got down, and walked over to him, and, and the beggar is excited. He's thinking, I might get something more than, than rice today. So he's, he holds out his cup, anxiously waiting to see what the prince will put in his cup. But to his surprise, when the prince got there, the prince asks, will you give me your rice? And, and the beggar replies, I, no, I can't do that. It's all I have. So the prince asks a second time, please, give me your rice. And the beggar says, I, I can't do that. I'll starve. It's all I have. But when the prince made a third request, the beggar reached into his cup and he, he took out three grains of rice and gave them to the prince. And then the prince reached into his money bag and took out three nuggets of gold and put them into the beggar's cup. And as he rode off, that beggar sat there and he just lamented, saying, why didn't I turn my cup upside down into the prince's hand? So it is with God. The more we give, the more he gives us back. The more you give, the more God gives you back. It, it's a matter of trust. It shows trust, right? That beggar had to trust that he would be taken care of. And when I give to God what, what seems to me the last of what I have, when I give to God what, in, in a matter that what seems to me uh, that I can't afford, Forward. It shows that I trust him. But still, so often, we don't trust in him. Still, so often, we're afraid of giving too much. So God said something about this in Malachi chapter 3. He says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. God says, test me. See if I won't bless you. Give me your rice. Test me in this. See if I won't take care of you. Mary probably had some cheap perf perfume, you know, back in the closet, but she didn't bring that out. She went for the best. And that is what made her gift so beautiful. All right? This was beautiful. This, this act of marriage was beautiful because 
broken vessels give everything, don't they? A broken vessel gives everything. Mary was holding nothing back. What she had, she gave. Mary was simply doing what broken vessels do. They give everything. And so Jesus praises her because that total surrender is what he wants from all of us. That total giving, that all-out giving is what Jesus wants for us because that all-out giving is the kind of giving that Jesus has given us. That is the way that Jesus has treated us. So he loves to see that in us because it reflects the giving that he first gave to us with. And that's the gospel, friends. That is the good news. Jesus, first of all, he broke the vessel to give you everything. And so that's why he is calling us um, to a life of all-out giving. He, he, he wants us, he doesn't, he doesn't want careful Uh, play-it-safe disciples who count the cost of everything first. He wants us to honor him and to trust him by taking the safety net away and thanking him and trusting him. If, if If Mary would have waited for a week, she would have missed her chance, wouldn't she? So what are we waiting for? Break the vessel. Break the vessel. Let's, let's do some all-out giving for God. Let's do some all-out living for God. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you're going to go and break a $40,000 bottle of perfume over someone's head. So what does that mean for you and me today? I'll just throw some things out there. Maybe they fit for you. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just get you thinking. Um, give a generous gift that you don't think you can afford. That'd be a, an easy way to start out. Um, maybe for some of you, this might. Um, maybe quit a safe job so that you can do something that will help you be more devoted to the Lord or to your family. Uh, maybe for some of you, maybe go back to school or g- go get some training to do something that you feel God is calling you to do. Maybe just for some of you, it might just be adjust your standard of living. Um, Live to a lower standard of living so you can be the spouse that, that God has enabled you to do. So you're not so caught up in the busyness and, and worrisomeness and, and whatever, and the stress of, of the, the career. Live at a lower standard so you can be the spouse God made you to be. So you can raise your kids or your grandkids to know Christ. Um, give all-out service to God now don't say well i'm gonna do it later you know when i retire or when i you know get out of this season but give it to god now don't arrive at your funeral with unused energies with hoarded up hours and with saved up resources spend it spend it doing what god has given you to do spend it in service to christ and to his people um what is it that makes cross of life such a beautiful thing? Well, people honoring God in front of others by going all out, by giving our all. That's what makes it such a beautiful thing. People honoring God in front of others by giving their all. That's what Mary's act was so beautiful. That's what makes this gathering of Christian people such a beautiful thing. People honoring God in front of others by just giving their all. Mary was the only one who got to anoint the body of Jesus for his funeral. The women who arrived on Easter morning 
missed their chance. Finally, it was an, Im- an immortal act. Verse 9 says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So Jesus said that her deed would have a permanent place in history. Wherever the gospel of Jesus is spoken of, this this beautiful act will be spoken of. Now, let's, let's not miss the significance of what Mary was doing. She anointed Jesus with some very expensive fragrances. Mary was making a statement. I don't know if we missed that or not, but Mary was making a very obvious statement. She was making the statement that she believed that Jesus, this Jesus, was in fact, was indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. See, when kings in Israel were crowned, they would be anointed with sacred oil that was perfumed with very expensive spices. So that marvelous scent would create kind of an invisible crown of fragrance for days. And anyone smelling them would instantly recognize that this was a person who belonged to God in very special ways. That psalm we read earlier, Psalm 45, describes how a king's fragrance identified him. Um, Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. So a king's fragrance identified him. Solomon, the son of David, was anointed king while riding a donkey into Jerusalem. Here, Jesus, the son of David, was anointed the king just before riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Is it possible? Is it possible that the fragrance from the perfume that Mary anointed with him still lingered? Is it possible that everywhere Jesus went during that last week, that the fragrance of royalty hung around him and was encountered by everyone who saw him, that he still had that fragrance of, of, of royalty that whole week. The fact that Jesus smelled like a king sent a message. When they arrested him in the garden, Wouldn't the guards have sniffed the air and maybe wondered just who it was that stood before them? When they they put him on trial and mocked him and beat him and stripped him naked, that smell of royalty still would have clung to him. Friends, we carry his fragrance too. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the ones, we are the smell of death. 
to the other the fragrance of life. So as Jesus' followers, we spread the fragrance of our anointed Messiah everywhere we go in everything we do. We are the smell of Christ, the smell of a royal anointed king, the king of kings. And as you speak the words of God, as you live the way of God, as you witness Christ, as you love one another, as you live the life that Jesus lived out of thanks for what he has done for you, you bring the fragments of Jesus Christ into this world. And it will be for those, for those who want nothing to do with them, you will be the smell of death. But for those who come to faith in this beautiful news for them, you will be the fragrance of life. Mary's act of honoring Jesus in front of others will be always be spoken of in memory of her. So the question I want to leave you today with is what things are we doing? What things are you and I doing to honor Christ in front of others that will always be spoken of in memory of us? Mary didn't count the cost. She broke her vessel and gave it all for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus didn't count the cost. He broke his connection with his heavenly father and gave it all for us so that we could be restored. Restored in Christ. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.